China's been in the news in recent times because of its role in the onset of COVID-19, the deadly pandemic that has had enormous economic and social implications and consequences around the world, including a huge loss of life. China has risen in little more than one generation from a country which was mainly agrarian, communist, had gone through a huge upheaval, the Cultural Revolution, other events since the Second World War, but emerged in the 21st century as a new superpower, rivaled only by America. The signs of China's dominance, importance in the world, uh, its, its ambition, its uh, territorial expansion, its economic expansion, the signs have been there for quite a while. So what we're seeing now is with the COVID pandemic, these things are not brand new at all. These are really the continuation of trends that have been going for quite a while. And so what I thought I'd do is take a look back over stories that we've done in fairly recent times, really in the last 18 months on Beyond Infinity on our radio program, which is normally broadcast from Radio Port Phillip in Mornington in Victoria, and put them together in a way that links up some themes, which uh, kind of tell a bit of a story about what we are dealing with, what, what the world needs to understand is modern China. Uh, the first part is about surveillance, CCTV cameras, not just in China, elsewhere in the world, huge numbers of them. In China, they actually forecast that there may be a one-to-one ratio between uh, cameras and people, which is a very Orwellian scenario. The way that you automate control and, and monitoring and order in a country of nearly 1.5 billion people is an important thing, and, and China has mastered it. China has... Uh, uh, has got surveillance cameras in many, many places, and it uses AI to match up facial ID, to work out where people are, what they're doing, and then applies algorithms. And if someone's name is on a, a watch list, then uh, they may find that there are consequences that automatically uh, apply to them through the social credit system, which also is being applied now to businesses, both Chinese uh, and foreign businesses. So that's the second part. And the third is the use of facial recognition technology. And if you want to buy a new phone in China, you need to have your photo taken. That photo is recorded against your name and other details so that there's a a record. So if you haven't already been ID'd facially uh, by all those CCTV cameras, then uh, when you go to buy a new phone, this is a way that your biometric data is updated and added to the government database. The fourth story that I've included today is about China's use of artificial intelligence for mass surveillance. So it's really continuing that theme. In some cases, some of the the products and algorithms and software that's been developed for China's uh, surveillance of its own population is actually for sale around the world and uh, is of particular interest to other authoritarian states. The next story 
is about a Chinese-developed ultra-high-resolution camera which can ID every individual face among crowds of thousands of people. Imagine being able to take one image of a packed football stadium and being able to identify every single person seated in, in that crowd of tens of thousands. Well, it's possible, and it's a Chinese camera that can do it. Then finally, just to wrap up this feature on the rise and rise of the surveillance state, is a story about China's growing footprint in Antarctica and how this is of concern to other countries down there. there. There's been a moratorium on economic development and on mining and on resource development, that sort of stuff down in Antarctica. It's the last true wilderness, the last remaining wilderness that, that the Earth has. China is increasing its presence there in quite a big way. You're listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. Where we look back over some of the most interesting science and tech stories we've covered over the years. There's a website, John, called Comparatech that is quite a good, useful website for getting your head around figures and aggregating information that's out there in the public domain and mm-hmm. sort of putting it together in a kind of a digestible form. And one of the things they've done recently is a survey of the heaviest closed-circuit TV surveillance cities in the world. Mm-hmm. I was interested but not that surprised to learn that eight out of the top ten are in China, mm-hmm. mainland China. In fact, the city of Chongqing in China has a total of 2.579 million of these cameras, and that's against a population of uh, over 15 million people, and that works out to be... 168 cameras approximately per 1,000 people yeah, right. in that city. The only cities in that top 10 that aren't in China are number six is London in the United Kingdom, 627,707 cameras there for a population of 9.17 million with 68.4 cameras per 1,000 head of population. The other city that makes it into that top 10 is Atlanta in Georgia in the United States. 7,800 cameras for a population of just over half a million people, 15.5 cameras per 1,000 head of population. So, so is this publicly known yeah, systems look, or a little, CCTVs? I, yeah, yeah. I, what I, yeah these are, so these are government-operated CCTV cameras. Mm-hmm. They're, they're so, done so to by monitor the local cities. For they're there for, they're there for and, sort of all sorts of things, traffic support, yep. safety. They're at public transport stops, you know, train stations, bus stops, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, they do use facial recognition technology and uh, they do then provide authorities with instant identification of someone. So if you're committing a crime in China, Mm -hmm. for example, Mm -hmm. or elsewhere, Mm -hmm. or if you do something which the state doesn't agree with, doesn't accept as acceptable conduct, Mm -hmm. then you're ID'd with the camera system and then that, in China's case, is fed back into the social credit system. And if you go to board a a plane or to make a booking, then you can be blocked. Or if you try to go into a train station and buy a fast train ticket Mm -hmm. to uh, to get somewhere else within China, then you can often find yourself blocked automatically by the system. It red flags you when you uh, make that online transaction. If you're walking down the street and uh, happen to get into some kind of scuffle, whether that's, you know, you created that or you were just on the receiving end, Mm. then all of a sudden those 
those cameras are recording that information and then that will feed into your school. Mm. Uh, so if you've done the, the wrong thing, then you should be penalised uh, for that. But And I guess that's where this leads into of uh, yeah restriction of travel and uh, or, or costing additional for services, which and were covered before. Yeah, we've talked about the social credit system in China quite a bit and the majority of these cameras are in China. In fact, they're talking about that in China... If the whole of China increased the number of CCTV cameras by 1,145%, that would mean a total of 2.29 billion cameras, which is just less than two cameras per person. Oh, right. The website where this information is drawn from, comparatech.com, we'll have show notes. You can check it out on our website. You can go there yourself now, comparatech.com. Uh, they do make the point that, uh, as far as methodology is concerned, is they've admitted any city where we couldn't find enough data. They've also tried to find the number of private CCTV cameras in use and, and not include them in their figures. So they're talking about public CCTV cameras. These are not on private businesses. These are yep. ones that are in the street, attached to lampposts, mm-hmm. in, in train stations, uh, public thoroughfares, that sort of stuff. So there's highly likely there's a lot more cameras because uh, it could well be. yeah, hotels yes. and, uh, and, and, uh, yeah. and... And as the costs have come down, the technology's got better, the facial mm. recognition business of it, the AI being able to process and crunch this data and give quick answers to authorities. Mm-hmm. That's all come down in cost and the technology's improved. But it is interesting, according to Comparatech, that they don't see a very strong correlation between the safety of a population in these cities where they've got lots of CCTV cameras or in the crime rate. In other words, it's not necessarily making places safer. If you're going to commit a crime, you do it in such a way that you're not going to be picked up by a camera. I mean, it's like robbing a bank. You know, you're going to you're going to hold a pole up with something to block the camera. You know, as your first thing when you when you walk in the door to rob Some the bank. Some people shoot lasers into yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Mess with the sensor. That's right. That's yeah. well. That's another thing which we're going to talk about a little bit later. But the interesting thing is that according to this website, there doesn't seem to be a big correlation between either crime or the safety of the population. Crime rates or the safety of the population where you've got lots of these cameras, which begs the question: Why do you have them, and mm. why are the numbers projected to be increased? so much mm. you know in China you might wind up with more than two cameras per head of population China's the most populous country in the world by a long way I think mm-hmm. one and a half billion people there mm-hmm. so that's a hell of a lot of cameras mm. and if there's not a safety or law and order benefit then what are they doing and I suppose that the suggestion the implication is that this is being done because it is a way to monitor the behaviour of the population mm. with a view to controlling dissent, mm-hmm. with a view to cementing the place of the government. This website includes a link to an Excel spreadsheet, which gives you, I think, the top 100. So just running through a couple of Australian cities out of interest, Canberra is number 30 in the world. This is the relation of the number of cameras to the population of the city. Mm-hmm. That's how these have been ranked. So there's 2,472 CCTV cameras, public CCTV cameras in Canberra that have been identified. That's against a population of 450,000. Sydney is number 15 in the world with 60,000 cameras and a population at the moment of 4.9 million people living in city, the most the most populous city in Australia. Singapore is is the 11th biggest place for public CCTV cameras in the world, 86,000 cameras there and a population of 5.6 million Mm -hmm. in the uh, city-state of Singapore. Beijing in China, 800,000 cameras against a population of 20 million. The numbers are pretty staggering, and in the case of Beijing, that works out to be 40 cameras per 1,000 people. There was a report done in 2009, and this was from the Australian Institute of Criminology, mm. and that was titled Using CCTV to Reduce Antisocial Behaviour. Now, there's a, there's a 
quite a bit in this report, but I just wanted to, to focus in on three points which they make. Mm. Uh, and the first is that as a det- the use of CCT in security cameras is for a deterrent to committing a crime. So the use of surveillance cameras as a criminal deterrent is most likely to succeed as part of a broader crime reduction strategy with active monitoring and where police are able to respond quickly to a developing incident. So yep. That was point number one. Yep. Number two was uh, for criminal prosecution, the most effective application of surveillance cameras is as a forensic tool to identify the offender in a crime or to eliminate suspects. Images must be of high quality to be acceptable as evidence in criminal prosecution. And finally, uh, to enhance community safety, uh, the visible presence of surveillance cameras, particularly CCTV in public spaces, can enhance perceptions of safety within the community, which is constructive in developing public confidence and reducing the fear of crime. So it's, so a, det- it's a deterrent. I can understand those points. Mm. I think that's the utopian view of what uh, CCTVs are, but mm. It's what then happens. There's the you know we, we call it creep in terms of the use of that information. Mm. So once you've recorded that data, is then it then analysed and, and and you know whether it be a recognition of people to say well we don't know who this person is, but we'll just we're going to look it up and then we'll just find what crime they're associated with, or uh, we might share this with a different agency, or we might get the data on how many people in a particular area. So it's it's. On the one hand, it's about safety and it's about deterrence. On the other hand, it is an invasion of privacy as well. Yeah, you can easily imagine that that where there's lots of cameras uh, in a public space, there would be a deterrent to criminals or terrorists or the like, uh, anyone doing anything that's illegal and likely to attract the ire of authorities. You know, if you can help it, you're not going to do it in a public space. But that just means that you choose to either cover up, have an umbrella, mm-hmm. wear a hat, wear a mask, yeah. or do it in a place where you know you've already cased the place and you know that there aren't these cameras around. Yeah. I just thought this was a pretty interesting take on just the sheer numbers of these cameras versus that, you know, the ratio to population. You know, the, the numbers that were projected for 2022, uh, China could have one public CCTV camera for every two people. That's very much, you know, like George Orwell's 1984, where, you know, you had yeah. this telescreen screen that was always on with an eye, basically, or eyes yeah. looking at you, watching what we're doing, even the idea of thought crime. You know, so who's, oh, who's watching me and what are they using that data for? Are they there to to help uh, you know make sure that I'm safely walking down the street mm. or you know accessing the public spaces mm. um, or are they taking that information about me and running it through and different systems you. and profiling and me and trying to use it yeah. to predict your behavior yeah. you know should we preemptively lock this guy up because he might be an enemy of the state yeah who knows yeah. why is he in this area shouldn't be in this kind of thing yeah. yeah and look you can see that a lot of the applications are legitimate but unfortunately there's that that component where the applications of this yeah, technology when may not be legitimate. Government powers and there's money involved, then yeah. uh, unfortunately the, the negative side can uh, yeah, outweigh you, the benefits. If you've got a mate who works for the government, can you pay for some dirt on someone via a CCTV camera and thereby get rid of your commercial competition? That kind of stuff. And Corruption. like we've argued with local governments here, if your data isn't secure enough, then that can be easily hacked or taken. So yes, these are closed circuit, but generally they're backed up on uh, some you know digital device which can be accessed uh, remotely in some cases as yeah. well. So. I mean, things like monitoring traffic, perfectly legit, managing yes, traffic in, in big, heavily trafficked cities, great idea. Even doing things like observing industrial operations in environments not suitable for humans. Mm. That's another very prime use for CCTV technology. So uh, it's not to say that all of this is dodgy, but it's just some of it that is a concern. Maybe there's overreach or there's, as you said, there's that creep. You're listening to curated podcasts from the Beyond Infinity radio show presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. 
China's social credit system is now going to be extended. Instead of just regulating or trying to regulate the behaviour of people mm-hmm. on a kind of social level, like uh, it might be that uh, if you've got bad debts, that you will be uh, picked up on their deadbeat map. So mm-hmm. if you're using, uh, I think it's the WeChat app, and there's someone who's got a bad credit history within 500 metres of you, that'll that'll flash up on your screen yes, so that yeah. you can, I don't know, sneer at them or... Stay away from them. Stay or, away yeah. from them or something, or know who they are yeah, yeah. and know not to deal with them. Yeah. That's one application of this sort of social side of it. Uh, also, if you fall foul of authorities or you, you know, you've done something that's deemed uh, unacceptable, then you might find that you want to get on a plane and you aren't allowed to, uh, to buy a entry. ticket. Yep. Uh, in fact, uh, more than 15 million people in China have been punished under the social credit system with a combined 32 million plane tickets and 6 million train tickets cancelled. That's according to the Supreme People's Court of China. Mm-hmm. This social credit system is actually now going to be extended to businesses, to companies, uh, and uh, it could potentially to foreign companies operating in China as well, okay. uh, but certainly to Chinese companies. And the, the objective is kind of the same. It's it's kind of a mandatory form of social engineering, with the objective of making you obedient. You know, having having a big enough stick threatening you or your business if you don't comply mm-hmm. to force this business community to be self-regulating. Mm-hmm. Follow the government line, yeah, or follow otherwise, follow the government line and. If you've issued with a directive about something, you comply with it, you behave in a legal way that's that's strictly in line with what the, the party, the one-party state, mm-hmm. the centralised government over there, is wanting you to do. And so there are some concerns about this. Look, it's, it's scheduled to be rolled out by 2020, but there may be some delay in that. But it uses things like AI, it mm-hmm. uses machine learning, it mm-hmm. uses data points collected about everything. I assume it's a bit like when, um, you know, a few years ago they had the, the issue with the milk powder and that it, it found, I think, was traces of lead or plastic or something within the, the locally manufactured. And that's why here in Australia we find that there's a lot of, is being bought up by the Chinese and then sent home because they don't trust what's being, you know, made back in China. And mm. that's, that's across a number of, you know, food and, and other things. They don't mm. necessarily trust what's being put into it mm. and, and therefore... With this social credit score, if they can see that a company has got a lower score, well, they know not to buy a particular product from them. But mm. you know, maybe that also then affects their ability to get bank loans or to get insurance. Uh, so, you know, this I can see this being a, a massive problem for emerging businesses, mm. or, or especially those that may not necessarily agree with the, the government, but is forced to in order to remain a viable company. So it's intended to standardise the assessment of citizens and businesses' economic and social reputation or social credit. Mm. So, so that is, as you said, that's that's uh, potentially to warn customers from dealing with uh, dodgy businesses that may have bad debts or may have bad products or may be in breach of environmental codes, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. There's, you know, there are some legitimate things that are being protected here, but there is also really quite a worrying Orwellian side to this, which is really about control and the potential for abuse is also there, you know, yeah, built well, into it because there's not really much in the way of recourse. So if you find yourself as a business black band mm-hmm. or, or, or shut down or penalised in some pretty heavy way, mm-hmm. You can't necessarily get an explanation of why, what the justification is. Because the is. AI is somewhat determined. Well, yeah. that's right, but but the government doesn't see fit to do that. It just issues the proclamation and makes it puts it out there on social media, puts it out there through through penalties that are applied to you, fines or, or um, things that make it hard for you to conduct your business as you normally would. And, the, and, the, and I that, guess the more you fight, then the, the worse your score well, is going to right. be. Well, that's right. So it's not really set up for normal safeguards like uh, transparency. Mm. You know, that mm. is something that is kind of lacking. And the European... 
European Chamber of Commerce in China last month published a report warning European companies operating in China to prepare for the rollout set for 2020. It said companies' behaviour will be continually monitored with scores being adjusted accordingly and businesses risk serious repercussions. Uh, quoting from Jorg Wutke, uh, he's the president of the European Union Chamber of Commerce in China. He said, China's corporate social credit system is the most concerted attempt by any government to impose a self-regulating marketplace, and it could spell life or death for individual companies. Businesses in China need to prepare for the consequences to ensure that they live by the score, not die by the score. Mm. Mm. So it is being taken seriously by overseas companies that are operating in China, as well as by Chinese companies that need to comply with this. There are areas where the business side can blur into politics. Now, as we know, uh, China is very sensitive about, well, it's sensitive about Hong Kong. Mm. Um, it's particularly sensitive about Taiwan. It regards it as part of China. Mm. Uh, and it wrote a letter to airlines around the world, including United Airlines and Qantas. United Airlines chose to make it public, and it basically was saying it was insisting that uh, international websites of these airlines be, uh, be changed to show Taiwan as part of the People's Republic of China. The, a letter sent to United Airlines was made public and it said the authorities in China would make a record of your company's serious dishonesty and take disciplinary action if it didn't comply. This is an area where politics is intruding into the business sphere. The companies that operate in China that want to fly there and uh, do business there are kind of being forced to comply on clearly political grounds. You can't say there's nothing purely business about how you define Taiwan, yeah. whether you can whether you define and it as clearly part of China or not. But if you choose to manipulate the scoring system because you control that scoring system, then you can really shut down parts of the community, businesses, restrict people's movements because they can't fly or maybe can't get gain access to public transport. So it is certainly a way to just control the individual, but uh, you know the nation and, as you say, companies overseas and how they interact with China as well. And some of the areas of interest that the scoring system, the social credit system, looks at are things like court rulings, tax records, environmental protection issues, government licensing, product quality, and punishments by market regulators. So these are all things that will make up a company's social credit rating mm. and therefore their, their prospects of, uh, you know, of being a, a viable uh, ongoing concern in China. It is slightly concerning. There are issues about transparency. There are issues about lack of recourse for those who are adversely affected by the system. Well, I would also think even how the AI interprets the rules, because obviously you're not going to have people sitting there and watching every other person do all these things. So a lot of this is processed by AI. And so getting an answer as to how did the AI come to this solution? Why did it determine that your score should go up or down based on this? It can be difficult. And we know, uh, for example, with you know YouTube that has uh, channels. Um, if you're a YouTuber and you get monetized or you earn money through that, the AI may determine you've done something wrong and just shut your YouTube account down. Therefore, you can still post videos, but you may not earn money from those. Mm. But when those YouTubers go and ask, well, why? 
why did you shut my monetization down? What happened? Uh, YouTube can't give an answer because it, the AI determined, well, based on our all of our rules combined, mm. you know, you've broken one of those. We just can't tell it, you what it that lacks is. lacks explainability. Yeah. And that's so one of the issues with AI. That's AI across the board, and that's potentially how that can interact with this system here as well. Yep. It can apply a weird rule that maybe makes sense to AI, but then can't be you know, completely fleshed out or determined uh, for that person to understand or that company to understand what have I done and, and why is it caused That's right. This? And when, you, when you're trying to uh, affect you know, 30 million plus companies operating in China in the corporate sphere, uh, as well as a population of 1.4 billion, it would mm. be difficult to provide individual cases with decent explanations. And they don't have to, I guess, either. Well, that's right. <laughs> and just, just uh, to finish up, Hong Kong and Macau, which are those places Special that, that yeah, operate yeah. under the one country, two systems principle until in the case of Hong Kong 2047 and 2049 for Macau, it's unclear whether the system will be applied to those regions, but at the moment it's not. Mm. You're listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. Where we look back over some of the most interesting science and tech stories we've covered over the years. We've talked quite a bit about uh, China with its social credit system and that applying to individuals as well as businesses, Mm. both foreign and local businesses now subject to that same scrutiny. And now I believe that if you go and buy a smartphone over in China, there's some changes to what they want to do to be able to sign up for that. I mean, and don't forget in Australia, you have to have a driver's license to get a a, a new phone number anyway. So there is some linkage of a person to a particular phone number. But uh, in China, they're taking it a step further. Yeah, look, it was a new regulation announced back in September and it's come into effect. And it is that if you go and sign up for a new mobile service, not only do you need to supply your government ID, which is the same across pretty much all countries in the world, you now have to submit your face for facial recognition to confirm that what your ID says or what your ID shows is the person that is picking up the phone or taking the device itself. And that's not... Just for us, a phone security purpose, that's also to essentially allocate an ID to your internet usage. Right. This is now getting into that murky area of government now completely understanding and knowing the individual users because most people you know, in the world now are using the internet on their mobile device and I, I think mobile's sort of overtaken you know, laptop and, and desktop use for... By miles. By miles. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's ubiquitous around the mm. world. And mm. So what it's doing now is it's saying, well, if you know, this person has purchased a mobile device... We've seen their ID, but we've also now got the facial recognition. What we've, we can now say is we can know with certainty that this, this user of this phone is, is this person. Um, so that means that if there's any issues with potential fraud, which is a growing problem online or even abuse online, uh, then it's, there's the potential for the Chinese government to then relay that back to that particular user to be able to ID that user from their, their face print or the What's fingerprint. What's a way of catching yeah. someone if they're looking for someone and they've evaded capture? They go to get a phone and, and the system pings them because they've had to submit a face it, facial scan and to it could get be. the phone. And we know that there's uh, lots of security cameras, which are, you know, the social credit system, which is recording data. Mm-hmm. So potentially when you go to buy a device, you may be knocked back. If you've done enough bad things and your social credit score is too low, you may not be able to access the internet. Or 
if you've got an okay credit score and you're able to buy that device, in future you may have that reduced because something you do out on the streets where the cameras capture you says, you know what, that was unsocial and you're not allowed to do that, therefore we're going to reduce your access. And a lot of this is driven by AI, so a lot of it's quite automated. You know, they've got, they've got that many people in China, I think it's 1.4 billion, something like that, they rely on automated systems to, to enforce a lot of this, sure. you know. So the the AI sort of says, well, the algorithm says, okay, well, this person's been done for jaywalking. They haven't paid some taxes that, that were due. They've got a bad credit history. So when they make an application for some credit or they make an application for a permit to travel, whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be, buy an air ticket, then those sort of things can automatically be stopped by the software. And that's one of the kind of insidious big brother yeah. aspects to it all. And I, I suppose there is a there is a practical side to it, which is that you couldn't do it manually given you've got such a big population. Of course. I was watching... Recently, a doco, I think it was 60 Minutes, and they were basically talking about these ghost cities that have been built, you know, where they can literally churn out cities in breakneck speed. And there was a big tech hub built, I think it was just outside Shanghai, and it's still completely unoccupied. Mm -hmm. They literally just stopped building it. They were all systems go until maybe about a year ago, mm-hmm. and then they just stopped. So the cranes are still there, right. you know, department stores, all, hospitals, schools, everything, all kitted out. All you know, in a lot of cases, the hospitals they've got the gear in them, they've got the equipment, medical equipment, all that stuff inside them, mm-hmm. but they've just stopped because they are waiting. They've kind of effectively mothballed it until the demand arrives. And right. where that demand's coming from is there's. Out of that population of 1.4 billion, there's 400 million still who are living. I think it's something like two dollars a day mm. is their average wage, yep. which is way below the you know the developed part of China, mainly on that eastern seaboard. And the the plan of the government is to take those 400 million people and relocate them to these new cities, which at the moment are kind of called ghost cities. Right. Put them in there, and and then that's that's the future of China. So you're taking people out of that agrarian base. That'll become much more efficient. Fewer people required to do it. Mm-hmm. More mechanized. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. And those people get moved into these shiny new cities that are being built. But the problem is, and the reason why they're ghost cities at the moment is because until someone can afford to pay to live in them, sure, then they remain empty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and obviously there's it's this machine which is just ground on. I mean, some of the examples of where developers have, you know, they've there's, there's someone's got a house in the middle of a, a freeway and they refuse to move. Well they, they just <laughs> they build, build the, the freeway it. just goes around them. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's and, amazing. And and look potentially you could argue the fact that you know this is needed to you know this facial recognition for you know buying a phone device is a, a great idea because then you can completely understand the amount of internet users, the amount of people in a particular area. You can provide certain services, what roads are needed, what housing is needed. However, there's also the negative side, which is maybe controlling dissent, uh, which is you know, what China has done before and continues to do. I wonder if other governments around the world would look to this as as something which they think is a, a way to also control issues within the population. Because there is there is definitely a dark side to the internet. There is definitely abuse that happens online. There are people that use it to scam others. Identity theft, whether they're taking out small loans or credit cards in other people's names, or they're buying houses in other people's names. Mm. And this is somewhat relatively easy to do if you have enough data on somebody mm. which can be stolen in you know, a number of ways if you don't have good password security mm. um, if you've thrown out statements in your mail that someone happens to pick up and they can gain access to enough data points about you that they can take 
and alone in your navel. Mm. Well, is the data that's been collected and aggregated, is it secure? You know, that's something that we've talked about with metadata retention laws in Australia, the health ID information, which was uh, yeah. you know, set yeah. up in Australia where doctors share information about your medical history. A lot of people opted out of that. And one of the things that we raised and you raised on this program was concerns about you know, the security of that data and yeah. where it gets used and whether it gets misused, whether it goes to third parties intentionally or not. And I guess that's one of the big things in China with this kind of biometric data, which is pretty vital stuff. I mean, yeah. it's on your passport. It can get you into a country. It can get you into a building. It can get you a job. It can get you in and out of university. This sort of information, if it's not handled <laughs> carefully and properly, falls in the wrong hands, then there's all sorts of frauds, well, identity theft that can go on. When you're leaving Australia, if you've got the smart pass, then you're getting your facial recognition you know happening there as well through the smart gates if you enter into some countries they're recording you know your fingerprint so look it, it is happening it's just how far is too far we don't know you're listening to beyond infinity, infinity. There's been a lot in the news about Huawei, uh, which is a big Chinese tech company mm-hmm. involved in cellular and internet infrastructure, the mm-hmm. backbone of the internet. They manufacture that stuff and often they uh, they compete very well in, on price. And so a lot of countries around the world have been tempted to use their... Well, quite a popular um, phone as well in China. So absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, quite a bit they're of a massive tech giant. Yeah. TPG has recently pulled out of um, using uh, or developing, I think, the next 5G network yeah, for yeah. mobile. Because the backbone was because, Huawei. Because, because Huawei has been banned from operating in Australia, as it has been in other governments around the world, uh, in other countries around the world, uh, because of fears about espionage and about mm. how, how you, you don't want to have a Chinese company that may be um, going to use that that their own installed infrastructure yeah. to possibly spy on you or spy on your companies or spy on your government. So that had a big impact on TPG recently. But there are people who are actually coming out in Australia at the moment and saying that uh, don't worry about Huawei, there's a much bigger threat related to AI, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. and the way the Chinese are developing that. Now, what specifically they're saying is that the Chinese are developing AI to monitor and control their own population. They've got nearly one and a half billion people in China. Mm-hmm. It's a very authoritarian, single government, you know, one-party state over there, notionally communist, but probably very capitalist in reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, I think the, the president of China has uh, enshrined an extension to his term in office. I think it's, he's there indefinitely. I think, he, and, and then possibly even uh, his heirs. You know, there's a, there's a dynasty being being uh, created over there. So quite an authoritarian government by comparison to other democracies. China has a huge amount of data about its uh, about its population. They don't have privacy regulations in the way that we do. So the government collects all sorts of information. They're very smartphone savvy over there. They yeah. use their phones for payments almost completely. You no, know, as we, we use, pay and AliExpress as, exactly and, yeah. as we use credit cards, um, you know, tap and stuff. They use their phones. People are using Apple Pay in Australia as well. So that there is a shift towards um, towards doing that. Android has uh, has its own yep. equivalent system as well, which people are using. It's convenient. Saves carrying a wallet around allows all this granular data to be collected but in China they don't have a, they don't have the same privacy restrictions that we have in Australia so that means the government has this huge well of data that can be tapped into using AI to potentially regulate and control mm-hmm. and uh, and squash dissent mm-hmm. among its its uh, big population some of that technology is actually up for sale to other governments around the world, yeah. other, other authoritarian states that may want to use it, mm-hmm. and even uh, companies that want to use it to, uh, to monitor their workforces, that sort of stuff. So Quite dystopian, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a worry. There's been some stuff in the press recently 
a professor of cybersecurity, Greg Austin, at the University of New South Wales. He said, quote, if I was asked uh, which was the bigger threat to the West, is it Huawei or is it their research on artificial intelligence? I would say it's their research on artificial intelligence. That far outranks any of the concerns that we have from what Huawei might do in terms of foreign espionage. And as we mentioned, Huawei has been banned from taking part in the rollout of the 5G mobile technology or mobile network in Australia because of national security concerns and has faced similar restrictions in other countries. Yeah, because the AI will basically be able to identify certain keywords or the way that uh, certain people are maybe talking to each other. And uh, I understand that, hang on, this is a dissent or this is a, a ploy or a plot uh, maybe to overthrow the government or, or it might be a very simple thing, uh, but that information can then be used uh, to maybe attack that person or make that person go away, uh, which we have seen, uh, unfortunately. You mentioned um, dissidents. There's a big uh, Muslim minority in the Xinjiang province, Western China. The United Nations has cited estimates that up to a million of those people Uyghurs, uh, yeah. yep, could be being held in involuntary extra-legal detention. Mm. Uh, it's a million people. That's a lot. Uh, we've also talked about the social credit system that China has instituted, whereby if you somehow fall foul of the government or authorities over in China, you can find the next time you go online to buy yourself a, a train ticket or yep. an, an air ticket somewhere mm-hmm. that you're not, you're not, it's not, not allowed, it's not possible. Yep. You may find that your children's chances of going to a good university, even if they've got the grades to mm-hmm. qualify and there's no problem paying the fees and whatever, that they're not uh, not eligible to get in there because of points gone against them under this um, social credit system. And, got and, a, and it's, it's monitored through video cameras. It's also yes. how you act online. If you And video cameras are yeah. another thing that China's been accused of there's hundreds of millions of chinese made video cctv cameras around the world mm. used being used in banks being used outside uh, defense institutions and so on and it's been suggested that some of those may even be compromised that have got uh, built-in hardware and feeding and that data that, back that, yeah. that they're they're running these you know data centers with hundreds of millions of video feeds coming yeah. in and they're using facial recognition technology mm-hmm. you can even analyze people's gates the way they walk if you can't see their face clearly you can actually analyze their gait to make a unique yeah. sort of profile of them so you don't necessarily need to see a clear face. You might be wearing a hat or they might have their back to you, but you can still work out who people are going through a crowded train station or going in and out of a uh, particular office block that you're interested in. The question is, who, who are we making this safe for? Because obviously they're looking for people that are they're doing the wrong thing, but who are they actually making it safe? If everyone's living in fear um, or if other governments around the world are thinking this, taking this on, uh, they're worried about uh, their own you know, citizens maybe potentially overthrowing them. Uh, so it really is... The, the powerful trying to protect the powerful rather than uh, look out for their citizens, which is very, very concerning. Now, China's been investing very heavily in AI. Generally, this is referred to as the development of computer systems that perform tasks normally requiring human intelligence. Beijing has the advantage of that, that huge amount of data that's able to collect without any privacy restrictions. They announced grand plans back in 2017 in a national blueprint to address any shortcomings that might be there aiming to become the world's leader in artificial intelligence by 2030. Now, there are some people who say that that's, that's very uh, unlikely. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are others who suggest that that, uh, that could be happening. It could even happen earlier than that. And, and you just have to look at the way the Chinese and Chinese businesses and often with backing from the government, that line between big business and, and the government is often blurred in China. They've been um, you know, working pretty closely with Google, a big um, an American uh, technology and internet company 
for example, to develop that uh, that sensitive internet. I think plans of, for that have been They've been put on hold, hold, but I think there yeah. are other areas yes. where they're collaborating with, uh, with Western tech companies. Uh, it's been suggested that, uh, as I said, that that, that uh, technology to monitor your population and control it with AI uh, could be sold to the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and even Singapore. Um, another use that's of concern is AI being used to make decisions about whether a, an unmanned drone, which is armed, fires a missile. And at the moment, the drones over the Middle East that America runs, uh, they're controlled by people, and people make the final decision whether to mm-hmm. launch at a particular target. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big fears of uh, the people who are concerned about AI, and one of them is Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. He's on the record as uh, pretty concerned about where it could go. Yeah. He says it needs to be regulated. He needs to be that governments need to be wise, and democracies need to realise what what might happen. Yep. If, if you had AI making decisions about, you know, kill switches and, and, and whether to fire. Yeah, how do you feed that in? Is it, you know... How do you uh, regulate it? Exactly, yeah. There are all sorts of potential downsides to unlimited development of mm. AI, and China seems to be a, a pretty prime example of, uh, of a country that is uh, proceeding hard and fast down this line. You're listening to Curated Podcasts from the Beyond Infinity Radio Show, presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. So, John, we've talked recently a bit more about the social credit system in China and how that is being extended to businesses. Mm -hmm. The EU Chamber of Commerce in China has actually made some warnings to companies from Europe saying, you need to pay attention to this mm-hmm. because this could get you kicked out of the country. This could uh, could cause you to go bankrupt. Yep. This, this is something you need to be aware of. And they've called it, I'm paraphrasing, but the biggest attempt to force self-regulation mm-hmm. on business yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and using all those data points and, and, and just collecting information, whether it's through a, a vast network of, of tens of millions or even you know hundreds of millions of CCTV cameras, I think it's I think it's forecast to be almost one camera per head of population in China. Yeah, I guess that's been the, the big issue because you say, well, we can put lots of cameras up, but a lot of people that have seen camera footage then also question the the clarity of that camera footage. I mean, we know that when you buy a security camera, it's probably around the sort of twenty megapixel at most. Like that's a pretty good camera i mean yeah. you think of your phone camera that yeah. might be around what 12 or 13 megapixels yeah. some getting up there the premium ones are getting about the 20 yeah and so in order to have a camera that's seeing thousands of people does that mean that you need thousands of cameras well that can be costly and then there's things can break down so one thing that the chinese have recently released and this was at the international industry fair uh, just recently mm. was a 500 megapixel cloud camera system and what this could do is it was capable of capturing thousands of pe- tens of thousands of people and being able to look at each individual within that video so the amount of detail that you can get from a 500 megapixel camera is actually better than the human eye yeah right so, wow yeah what they're planning or what the thoughts are is that this camera will then have the AI system which incorporates facial recognition and real-time monitoring to sort of determine what is going on because if you have let's say you have a you know a number of small cameras then the resolution is low and therefore what you may think is a a push is actually just a you know a slight sort of you know movement out of the way whereas with this kind of resolution when we can now see when a fight would begin and that would you know count against you in a social credit uh, type system as right, well right right so it is more about okay well how do you determine 
with greater clarity and using AI that this is definitely I mean I think we've reported it was um, you know the gait of someone's walk how you walk can also be yeah. interpreted by AI right. so they don't need to see your face yeah. they, can, they can work it out from the way you walk but this one here the technology involved here is able to get facial recognition and this is also I guess to, to make sure it's not just how you walk it's the facial recognition I know that there's even reports that people might try to evade this by wearing masks yet there are some countries around the world that forbid you from wearing a mask in public as well mm. so you know we are moving we're quickly moving away from privacy and mm. all for the benefit of community security um I'm well, under those euphemistic headlines, community security, uh, better business practice, as with the social credit system applying to business in China, you know, making it more public if, if, if companies have got bad credit histories or if they've got a bad environmental track record, they're pollu- you know, they've been busted for polluting rivers or they're exceeding emission standards in the, in the smoke coming out of their, their chimney stacks, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Well, on the face of it, you'd say, oh, that's really great. It's yeah. good that those things are being controlled. And in a country as big as China, I suppose that they're They've got, they've got a lot of incentive, a lot of reason to want to automate things. Sure. But the dark side of it, I guess, is that you know you do have a one-party system over there. It's an authoritarian state. It's, it's not the only the one in the world. It's yeah. not the only country like that. There are other countries that uh, operate in similar ways that, uh, that don't like dissent, don't tolerate dissent. But in the end... What are the effects on a society when you force people, when it's, it's an artificial stability that's mm, applying that's right. rather than something which is actually motivated by people wanting to behave the right way? It's more out of fear than necessarily them genuinely be- believing in, in uh, the, the, the ideals that are supposedly represented by the yeah. system. Will people spend less time out in public or a- attempt to hide themselves even more yeah. in some way? Yeah. Uh, and uh, there will be ways around the system, but... You know, one of the things that you have to also consider is if you're going to capture this much data, I mean, if you've got one camera that's <laughs> this capable, mm. it's, that is a huge file. I mean, you need some pretty significant storage capability. Mm. You need some pretty significant um, computing power to be able to process this. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm confident that at the moment we probably don't have that necessary capability at an appropriate cost for every corner, every street corner. But it's moving that way. It is definitely moving away. The cost of storage are coming down. AI, like supercomputing is improving every yep. day. Yep. Quantum so, computing is on the horizon. So, yep. so Look, I can see, you know, look, if, if we were to apply this particular camera here in Australia, I can look to see for a large gathering of crowds, for example, at some kind of footy game mm. or a music stadium. Yep. Or a crowded uh, train a, station. A, a crowded train station. Somewhere where there is the genuine security aspect for people, then I can see the benefit of that where it's, okay, you can pinpoint one person at a crowd of, you know, thousands of people Mm. and send a first response. But if you can respond in time, you know, and if you can actually crunch that data, if the the systems, if the storage, if the processing power, because it's going to have to be run by computers. It's not going to be able to be, you know, people can't, it doesn't matter how big the team of people you've got analysing. I mean, they can respond to something being flagged for sure by the system, but the system has to be able to flag it to start with. It has to be able to look at that crowd of thousands of faces. I mean, there's train stations in the world that have I think Shinjuku station in Tokyo has I think it has 10 million people going through it a day I think it might be the busiest train station on a daily basis you could have cameras and there are cameras everywhere in that train station at the moment as it is it's, it's enormous but for you to be able to actually have those cameras picking up those millions of faces walking past mm-hmm. CCTV cameras and actually being able to use that in a, in a sort of meaningful way to distinguish between criminals and normal law-abiding people mm-hmm. 
that's a, a huge step and and it'll have to be done by automation but I, I'm not sure whether the automation is there but I mean presumably if the Chinese are building 500 megapixel cameras with this kind of resolution then the technology is that far not that far off and the big concern is how is AI going to determine what is legal and what is illegal when you feed into it a bunch of rules but it may come up with its own set of applied rules which on the face of it when you know you bring humanity into it then that would be seen as oh look that's not too bad that's not illegal whereas AI might just be very definitive and say, well, the way that you jaywalked there, for example, that's illegal, therefore you lose five points or you lose 10 points or we're going to send out a police officer to give you a ticket or something like that. Yeah. So are there flexibilities in that? Does it act a little bit like a human or is it very black and white? And my fear is that in China it is very black and white. Apparently, Wales Police have announced recently they're going to be trialling real-time facial recognition technology and the practice has been ruled lawful by the High Court. So there's been some regulatory hurdles, facial recognition technology, which we've already got in airports. So it's not not that much of a stretch. We've got it on our phones. Sure. We know that Facebook, every image that gets uploaded to Facebook, every selfie or photo of a person or people, groups, all is subject to facial recognition technology. And those algorithms process that, match it up to your friends, match it up to the wider network of people. They own your photos. Mm-hmm. So whether you're choosing to post it up there yourself or you know, whether it's being harvested without your knowledge by publicly owned or government owned CCTV uh, camera systems or even owned by private businesses that say, oh, this is part of our, you're entering our building, it's private property, you automatically are subjected to our security measures, which include uh, data harvesting and uh, facial recognition. And you mentioned that Apple's got the facial recognition. Mm-hmm. and. In a few weeks, Mm -hmm. uh, there is the Google announcement for the new Pixel series, which is the Pixel 4 series, and it is strongly suspected that there will be facial recognition unlock technology in the phone as well, meaning that is likely to filter through to other Android devices over the coming years. So it's inevitable that our our phones that are here to make it ease of use Mm. are also capturing the really key important information about you know, our heart rates, our, uh, our facial look, how we walk, where we walk, what we do, what, who we communicate with. It's capturing all that data, sending it back to those servers. So on the face of it, you know, we look at uh, the social credit system in China and say, well, that's, that's not something we want applied here, but potentially we're already getting ranked uh, by a social media score system, which looks at how good a citizen you are. That number is not divulged. That's not necessarily applied to anything other than some kind of business advertising potentially, mm. but potentially how that could be applied in future is also of a concern should they choose to we don't like this person we're going to kick them off social media you're listening to from the vault the best of the beyond infinity radio show where we look back over some of the most interesting science and tech stories we've covered over the years now china is building bases in antarctica actually within Australia's area that it claims. So Australia claims quite a large chunk of Antarctica. I think it's in the order of about 40% of the the land mass because Antarctica is a continent Mm -hmm. underneath all that ice, is land. 40% of it, there's sort of basically a wedge almost directly below Australia Mm -hmm. is the chunk that Australia claims. Then other countries claim other parts of the land mass. That's where we've got like Casey Station, is that the one that we have? Yeah, there's there's several in America has... All countries, a lot of major countries around the world have got you know slices of Antarctica. It's protected by a treaty. In fact, it's 42% of the land that's of Antarctica is claimed by Australia. It's protected by a treaty which was signed 60 years ago. 
what's sort of happening over time is there's a little bit of creep happening. And, and in fact, China has built some bases on that wedge of Antarctica mm-hmm. that is claimed by Australia. Supposedly, they're research stations. Yep. Um, Australia does share scientific um, research capabilities and, access, in, and, and yeah. access, and they share data and all that sort of stuff. They do that with China. So I guess they would see those bases as potentially beneficial from a scientific point point Mm -hmm. of view and maybe it's saving Australia the money of of, of going deep into the the middle of the continent, very isolated, middle of nowhere, uh, very harsh conditions year-round. It saves Australia going to the expense of doing that. However, it is suggested that the the real objective of China is actually to set up radar stations Mm -hmm at these bases, so they're kind of dual purpose. Mm-hmm. And so exactly how they're defined and where the line is between a scientific capability yeah. and, a, and a military capability. Mm-hmm. But the reason what the, the, why they're doing this, or it's, it's alleged by some, is that China is developing its own version of the US-led system, GPS, the Global Positioning System. And, the reason, and it's called Baidu, B-E-I-D-O-U. The reason why it's doing that is that that capability to have accurate GPS is vital in a war situation for missile timing and positioning. Mm-hmm. So there is a kind of potentially a dark side. And it's interesting they're doing it down south because there's not really a lot. We've got Australia down here and then um, you've got parts of South America. Well, South America is down south. So I wonder what the, the need is for the, the GPS signal down well, this end. Well, I think that because they can't, in a war situation, they can't rely on America sharing the GPS. And okay. There have been examples. Yeah. I think there was an example in the first Gulf War. It may have happened since without publicity, but there was a publicized example where the US actually turned off the, the world's GPS mm-hmm. for... I don't know, an hour or something, mm-hmm. because they wanted to use it exclusively themselves mm-hmm. for a military purpose in the first Gulf War back mm-hmm. in 1991, I think it was, mm-hmm. or 1990, thereabouts, late 1990. Uh, well, well there's the reports that we're hearing now about Russia that's um, sort of... Russia's developing its own GPS system as well. And they're the confusing the signals that are happening. So ships around uh, Russia are getting uh, confusing GPS signals. So they're somehow obfuscating you know, positioning. Uh, so somehow intersecting the signal and maybe redistributing that signal or changing it, altering it, uh, there has been some... To give, to give false, G- false GPS. Yeah, so make it look like you might be in a different position, not too far away, but enough that it, that it gives Russia the advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I wonder if that beluga whale, which apparently was carrying... Uh possibly Russian spyware in Norway, mm. whether that had been confused by uh, incorrect <laughs> GPS. You know, basically Antarctica, which has been supposedly, and the idea hopefully shared by the world and all those countries that have sort of got claims to it, mm. is that it remains like a national park, mm-hmm. that it's it's preserved for its in, in pristine environment. There's no mining allowed down there. Mm-hmm. There's not supposed to be military purposes. And even the bases that, that countries do build down there. And I think there's now 80 bases and there's more being built. And yeah, China's they're not permanent, aren't they? They're well, no, they're, no they're, well, they're not manned all the time. Mm-hmm. They're manned generally in summer. Some of them are permanent, but generally it's, you know, they can... I it's think winter, winter, it's, it's winter, so dark yeah. and it's and it's so isolated and it's and it's uh, it's hard to conduct science or activities of any kind. So mm-hmm. most of these are occupied only in summer, mm-hmm. but there are others that are maintained all the time. Uh, I think the US has a base right on the South Pole, like at the South okay. Pole. Yeah. One thing that's supposed to happen is that these bases are supposed to be subject to regular external um, inspection. 
with a view to making sure that they're complying with Antarctic regulations, that okay. they're not militarizing, yeah. that they're not drilling for oil, or mm-hmm. that they're not um, you know digging up alien spacecraft, or, or you know maybe that's allowable. I don't know, but there are supposedly these these very strict checks. And Australia did one not so long ago of a big American base, and and that in, literally involved Australia flying in its own plane, landing, sending in its own inspectors, completely unfettered access, like the Americans almost had to leave. I'm mm-hmm. not sure they they did, but they gave unfettered access. Like here's the key to everything yep. go for it so mm-hmm. then they spent two days mm-hmm. going through this thing with a fine tooth cone now mm-hmm. america is an ally so you know it's, yeah. it's it's reasonable that they would give that access what hasn't happened is that the chinese and, and i don't know whether it's been denied or not no one has done any um, inspections of these new facilities that China's so they have no building. idea what's within they don't know, they don't yeah. know for sure they've mm-hmm. taken aerial photos they can see they're expanding mm-hmm. there is the suggestion that they're going to be used for you know as antennas or ra- radar stations to be part of that Chinese GPS system mm-hmm. But their simple explanation could be that that's just to communicate the data back to China. That's right. Yeah. They're just saying they're just saying these are scientific bases. That's all it is. We're yeah. all just we're just there for preserving, helping to preserve the environment mm-hmm. by understanding it. Yeah. That's pretty much their their claim. There has been an international law expert at Australian National University, a guy called Don Rothwell. He has warned that Australia's claim to its that part of Antarctica is at risk by inaction. And I'm quoting him, if we don't effectively seek to manage that claim and exercise our sovereignty over that claim, well, then others will perceive some level of weakness in terms of Australia's position. They might seek to exploit that weakness in the future. Mm -hmm. So it is about possibly countries jockeying for position Mm -hmm. ahead of maybe saying, look, that treaty 60 years ago, things have changed. We're scrapping it. Changed, We're yeah. scrapping it. We've got the bases yep. there. We don't recognise your territory. You have no. And, and the other thing is that it's been admitted by the uh, newly appointed boss of the Australian Antarctic Division, and his name is Kim Ellis. He's the former head of the Sydney Botanic Gardens. He's basically said that we don't actually have the capability to enforce our uh, sovereign claim yeah. anyway. Okay. So if it if it did come push came to shove, we have absolutely no capability of enforcing that. We would. Pe- maybe be relying on the Americans to help mm, us out. Mm. He also said that he, he thinks that the, the focus on China breaching the rules and building bases without permission and not allowing inspections and stuff, he reckons he is going to be doing inspections, that mm-hmm. that will happen, mm-hmm. and that he thinks it's, it's, uh, it's even, he's actually used the word xenophobic to focus so much on China when mm. countries from all around the world are doing stuff down there. Mm-hmm. So different schools of thought, but certainly the situation in Antarctica is, um, for lack of a better word, hotting up. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to review us on iTunes. It's a great way to let others know if you liked our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Beyond Infinity RPPFM on Facebook or Infinity RPP on Twitter. Would you ever buy a genetically modified micro pig to have as a pet? Because they say that because they say that pigs are as smart as dogs and anyway, they have genetically created a modified baby pig that doesn't get too big stays within about 31 to 44 pounds well, this is like a, over a in china pig or something is it it's well no it's a bit bigger than that it's more like a sort of a cat but yeah, they say okay. that pigs are about the same sort of intelligence as dogs so instead of getting a dog you might get a pig the beijing genomics institute has developed a pig which could be 
exported around the world as a pet, and they're certainly planning on using it as a pet in uh, China. If you've ever wanted to have a pig as a pet, and pigs are apparently quite intelligent, mm-hmm. sort of nice animals to have around. If you don't mind having a big animal that is pretty dirty and has fairly sort of nasty eating habits, if you don't mind one having one of those in your house, then you don't need a gen- genetically modified one. But if you, you want one that stays compact, a bit mm-hmm. like a cat or a dog, mm-hmm. choosing to buy a smaller breed, then you might be interested in this genetically modified pig. They're known as micro pigs, and they're expected to live about 15 to 20 years, which mm-hmm. is kind of your age of a dog. Mm-hmm. They were originally developed for research purposes. Then they realized that they had a good outcome and that there was no reason why they couldn't use these as, as pets. Pigs are pretty popular in China, so they see that there's a market there. As far as exporting to the rest of the world, there are certain things that are going to go against that. People are a bit jittery about importing pets in the first place, let alone ones that have been altered genetically. Yep. And there'll also be some cultural hurdles. You know, a lot of people are opposed to genetically modified animals in any form. There's also the question of whether legislators and countries want to actually allow pigs to be used as pets. Do you really yeah. want that? What's wrong with a dog? I have a dog and a cat, and they're great pets. Don't yeah, I? Exactly. I don't need a pig. I think they're quite cute. I mean, I just think it's slightly weird that you've got a genetically modified pig, yeah. but it stops it growing up into a really big animal that you've got to do something <laughs> with. So yeah. it could be the beginning of a new craze of genetically modified pets around the world. I believe if you go to certain companies, if you've got a family dog that you really, really love, you can have it cloned before it dies. Really? Yeah. Okay. And you can wind up with an exact copy. Wow. Cost you a lot. I think it's about 20 grand. And whether you're actually allowed to import that animal back yeah. to the country, say from Australia, is a, oh, a very. We saw the furor with Johnny Depp's dogs when he was over here filming for Pirates of the Caribbean, right. and, uh, and they weren't even genetically modified. No, they were just regular dogs. Yeah, he so. just didn't declare them. Yeah. He just brought them in on his plane. You wonder about the effect on normal pig gene stocks. For example, if one of these genetically modified pigs was able to breed with an ungenetically modified pig mm-hmm. in Australia, for example, mm-hmm. what that would do? There's lots of controversy about genetically modified agricultural crops, you yeah, know, because they've inevitably spread yes. into neighbouring fields and stuff. So the idea of containing a genetically modified strain doesn't seem to work in nature you wind up having interbreeding and then and then the sort of natural genes are tainted by these artificial ones and that can have all sorts of effects god forbid but if you decided to eat your pet pig would there be any detrimental health effects from eating a genetically modified pig as well so for a variety of reasons both cultural and 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 (laughs) biohazard and all the rest of it it's it's possibly unlikely that these genetically modified micro pigs are going to make it to australia or anywhere else for that matter but we'll keep an eye they could be popular in China. <laughs> Thanks for listening to From the Vault, the best of the Beyond Infinity radio show. For our complete back catalogue, head to beyondinfinity.com.au. You can also engage with us on social media, Beyond Infinity RWP FM on Facebook, Infinity RPP on Twitter. <laughs>